Alyssa Rumsey is a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor who empowers women to eat and live unapologetically. Her weight-inclusive private practice specializes in intuitive eating, body image healing, and disordered eating recovery with virtual one-on-one coaching and group programs and online courses. She's also the author of the upcoming book, Unapologetic Eating. You can check out all of her offerings at alyssarumsey.com or access her free guide, Five Steps to Getting Started with Intuitive Eating at alyssarumsey.com slash get started. Hello, it's Caroline. You are listening to the Fuck a Diet podcast and today is a solo show. I'm not talking to anybody except for you. I'm going to read a listener story. I'm going to answer some listener questions that I gathered on Instagram. And just know that if you asked a question on Instagram the other day for the podcast and it's not answered today, don't worry. It will probably be answered in a future episode. It will be used for future content. It'll be used as a question that I'll ask future future guests. So just don't worry about that. Um... Today is a nice chilly day in Philadelphia, a chilly rainy day. Honestly, some of my favorite days. Now, it is true that if it was chilly and rainy every day of the year, it would get old and I would get frustrated and I would want some warmth and I would want some sun. But I really love, like I love being cold. I love going for walks and having a cold face. I love it. And I don't, I guess I don't love like rain all day, but I love a little rain. I don't like having to walk my dog in rain, but I like, I've always liked when they're, it probably, honestly, it probably goes back. This is something to unpack. It probably goes back to high school when I started forcing myself to go on runs all the time. And I was horrible at it and it was all for the wrong reasons. And it was all because I was obsessed with weight and trying to lose weight And I think a rainy day would just be like, I had no choice but to stay inside. Though, of course, I would always then stress about that in another way. But it was like, ah, at least like I'm, my decisions are being made for me. I cannot go for a run outside today. I just can't. Um, Maybe it's part of that. But I also really like, you know, I like staying inside and being, being a TV TV bum, basically. And I love an excuse to stay inside. (laughs) Though I do love walking, so I'm just going to contradict myself over and over. But yes, it is a cold and chilly day in Philadelphia. Finally. Um, It's the first time that I actually was like, oh, wearing a mask, like, makes my temperature better, not worse. It was almost like, ah, I get to keep my face warm. Though, as I already said, I I also like having a cold face. So again, contradictions, contradictions. Okay, I'm just going to get into this listener story. Now, this was sent in to me at podcast at carolineduner.com. If you have a listener story, a an inspiring story, healing your relationship with food that you think would be helpful to people who are in the thick of it, please send your story into podcast at carolineduner.com and I might read it on the podcast. Okay. So I, I, uh, I'm not reading the whole email because it was long, but I'm kind of getting into it where I think the most relevant information is. 
So she said, at 25 years old, I entered a treatment center for alcoholism, which followed a 12-step model. And this worked like a dream as far as getting me sober. I'm now 11 years sober, congratulations. But it made my food food problems so much worse. I was told that I was a compulsive overeater and a quote-unquote food addict, and that I needed to cut out sugar and white flour and attend Overeaters Anonymous for the rest of my life. This was deeply confusing and did not feel like freedom. I thought that maybe freedom was not for me. Eventually, 10 years and 20 more failed diets later, I discovered intuitive eating. It was the only thing that really made sense to me, but I couldn't help but approach it in a very diety way, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and I did too when I read the book Intuitive Eating. Lots of sitting very still and chewing way too attentively, attentively, and believing that if I were really eating right for my body, I would be thin. About 18 months ago, I found the fuck it diet on Instagram. I was kind of exhausted at this point and thought nothing could work for me, but I thought, what the hell, I'll give it one last shot, and it changed my life. The actual genuine, unconditional permission to eat, coupled with the health at every size message, it's okay to be fat and be okay with that, was completely revolutionary. I needed something that radical, and so did I, and that's why I write about this in the first place. I needed to say, I needed to really say, fuck it. I threw myself into the process and it was hard at times grieving the thin body I'd fantasized about sucked and giving up the illusion of control over my body size felt genuinely terrifying. Weight gain was at times hard to take. How could it not be? But honestly, deep down, it felt like coming home to the body I was always meant to have. Returning to my fat teenage self and telling her that she is good enough just as she is and that she deserves the same respect and love. (laughs) I'm sorry, I always cry during these. She deserves the same respect and love and freedom as anyone else. Unlearning the system of oppression that is diet culture has led me to start unlearning and standing against other systems of oppression and cultural bullshit. I did not at all expect healing my relationship with food to lead to a wider political awakening, but there you have it. I'm learning to stand against injustice, racism, homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia, sexism, and ableism, wherever I find them, in myself and in the world around me. That's so amazing to hear. I'm so happy about that. On a personal level, I now work with a wonderful therapist who is delighted when I talk about health at every size, the fuck a diet and anti-diet stuff, and who thanks me for opening her eyes to this material. That's wild. That's amazing. I consume the work of fat activists and anti-diet dietitians with curiosity and respect, and my relationship with myself and my body improves almost daily. And it turns out that I can be trusted around food. My refeeding period was intense and scary, and I struggled with fear and mental restriction for the longest time, but eventually it did stabilize. Food is now sometimes a pleasure, sometimes a chore, and almost never something to be feared. I'm not perfect at anything, and that's okay. I have a wardrobe full of clothes which fit me well. I feel healthy and energetic, and I love to run and hike in nature for joy, not for weight loss. What prompted me to write to you today was a miracle I almost didn't notice happening. 
I was in central London for the first time since coronavirus lockdown. I was distracted and excited and suddenly realized I was hungry and had not had lunch. I went into a sandwich shop, quickly grabbed a ham and cheese baguette, and ate it in the street on my way home. I didn't think twice. I didn't tell myself I should have a salad or a wrap instead. There was no internal dance around carbs or mayo or gluten. I did not give the tiniest shit that I was a woman of the exact size that Jillian Michaels recently said could never be healthy eating a baguette in the street. I just ate my fucking sandwich and then carried on with my day. Thank you so much for your work. It is important and life-changing, and I wish you and Molly, thank you, every happiness and success, and I can't wait to read your new book. Best wishes, Rose from London. Wow. That was amazing. That was sent in, let me see it actually exactly when that, that was sent in a little while ago. Curious, curious, curious. It was sent in, oh, just the beginning of September. Thank you, Rose. Honestly, that's just like, so I usually skim the stories, which I shouldn't do because then like, then I'll be like, oh, I should cut this part out or this, whatever. I usually skim them and I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to read this. And then when I actually get into reading it, that's when I'm like, oh my God, this is so beautiful and inspiring. It re-inspires me. It really does. Um, so thank you to everybody who, who writes in. Even if I don't read it on the podcast, I really do appreciate reading all of it, even just for myself. Healing from diet culture is really hard. Thankfully, there are actual coaches out there who can help you through this whole process. And one of them is Stephanie Bonastia. She's a sponsor for this podcast episode, and she is a certified health coach and mother of three. And she healed from binge eating and orthorexia after years of struggling, thanks in part to the fuck it diet. And now she helps other people through the process as her job. She also specializes in helping women to heal from long-standing body image issues. You can follow her at I am Stephanie Michelle, Steph with an F and Michelle with one L, and go to IamStephanieMichelle.com slash get hyphen started to get her free guide, unsubscribe from diet culture. And all of the links are in the show notes for this episode. Ugh, I keep burping up fish oil. It's grody. I I go through kicks of trying to, you know, take stuff like fish oil and vitamin D and fish oil. Gross. Okay. Uh, here is another listener story. Caroline, long story short, this diet has changed my life. Now she said diet, non-ironically, but this diet is not a diet, but you know that. Number one, I've had issues with colitis for the past 12-ish years since graduating college, but really going back to when I was 12 years old. So we're talking at least two decades. Two, College was the same time my food issues, dieting, body image, generally depriving myself of food and doing really extreme food crap kicked into overdrive and I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Three, in 2018 to 2019, the colitis kicked into overdrive in terms of severity. Four, after reading your book in late 2019, I started listening to my body and God forbid eating what it was telling me to eat instead of this soulless and I think possibly detrimental low residue diet my nutritionist had me on. My really, really nasty colitis flare was gone. Specifically, my body said to eat walnuts and dark chocolate and grapefruit. I technically still have colitis, but it is in remission. 
and the only thing I changed was listening to my body instead of being terrified of the reaction food would have on my colitis forcing, uh, and forcing down food I didn't want or depriving myself or generally doing really weird food things. In sum, I have never been healthier in my life. Food-wise, labs, sleep, physical, mentally, etc. Thank you so much for writing this book. It has changed my life. I can't believe it. I can't get through it. Okay. Best Heather. (sighs) So, you know, I think it is important to share things like that because while I do think it's important for the disclaimer to say that the fuck a diet cannot and will not heal anything, everything, I mean, um, it is not a cure-all. It is not something I would ever say across the board. It's not, if someone came to me and they said, I have colitis, are you telling me I should just eat whatever I want? Um, even if I feel horrible doing it, I would never say yes, definitely just trust, just trust. Like I'm not trying to start a fucking cult here. You know, like everybody is different. Everybody has different reasons that they have their health issues. Some are stress and dieting related and some are not, but I do think it's helpful to share experiences like this because it does at least show one version of what could be happening how, you know, we all have body weaknesses, you know, we all have ways that our body expresses overwhelm. So different people will have different, you know, health stressors, and it'll manifest in different ways because of our genetics and because of the way that our body is. So mine is PCOS and fucking canker sores and, you know, immunity issues. Some people have gut issues. Other people have other things. Um, I think it can be really interesting and helpful to share these experiences of people who have certain health issues that are told you can't eat certain foods, you have to be on a limited specific diet for the rest of your life, but really how stress and diet related that health problem is or how it's actually this vicious cycle and it's being made worse by the very restrictive eating. So I've heard this over and over and over and over again at this point. And so it's not a huge shock to me, though it always is really cool to hear. Um, Of course, there are other people who have gone on the fuck a diet who do still stay away from certain foods because certain foods will flare, you know, flare up their colitis or their gut issues or whatever other issues. Um, It is different for everybody. It will be different during different phases of your life. It is not a one-size-fits-all approach, which is why it is not a diet and there is no prescription for what to do or what not to do. Um, but I really do love hearing stories like this because I think it um, I think it does apply to a lot of people as well. All right, and here we have a little transition. I am reading the final email that I got, and this is actually mostly a question that I'm going to answer. Okay. Hi, Caroline. First of all, thank you for changing my life with the fuck it diet. Your book got me off 16 years of dieting and your podcast introduced me to Summer Inanin. I ended up doing her You on Fire program and it has helped me on my body acceptance neutrality journey. That's so awesome. I just celebrated my ninth month of no dieting. And along the way, I noticed that my weight seemed to stabilize around six months. Now for anyone listening, That is not necessarily what it will be for you. It can take longer than that. So don't be worried if you are at six months and you're like, I'm still gaining weight. Okay. 
My question may be TMI, but I will have anywhere from two to six BMs, bowel movements. Side note, when I was little, everybody, all my friends called it poop and I was taught that it was called BM. So this brings me back. I will have anywhere from two to six BMs a day. So is this normal? It's been this way pretty consistently ever since I started the fuck it diet. I thought it was excessive, but now it's gone on for so long. I guess I'm just accepting it as okay. A lot of things still feel so new on this journey, and I can't wait for the day till I feel more more settled. Thanks so much for the fuck it diet, the podcast, and Molly. Oh, we love Molly. You help me feel sane in a crazy diet culture world. I can't wait for your next book to come out. All the best, Christina. Um, all right. So as a very much non-doctor, I'm going to give my short little answer to this question about poop slash BMs. Thanks, mom and dad. It made me seem really cool at school when I was like, poop? BMs? I just thought poop was like a bad word and BM was like the appropriate word. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Um, so if you Google how many poops a day is normal, the answer is three, from three a day to three a week. Now I would say that three a week is pretty low personally. Um, but if you're from two to six, then you're, you know, that's six would be a lot, but as long as you're not having diarrhea and there's no pain, um, I would say you're totally in the clear and it's a sign that your body is like moving you know um I think this is way better than it being stuck inside of you for days at a time um but again it's all like does it feel comfortable or does it feel like it's um a problem obviously so what I would say is if it if it doesn't feel uncomfortable and doesn't feel like any sort of sort of like IBS you're good. I wouldn't think about it any more than that. If it does feel uncomfortable and it lasts for another six months, I would say go to the doctor and get it checked out. But I'm guessing you didn't say that it feels uncomfortable. So I'm guessing you're just moving quickly. And, you know, two is definitely normal. According to the internet, three is two. I would say, especially if you're in kind of like a a place where you're eating eating even more food than you used to and maybe even will in the future because I do think the beginning of the Faka diet, it's a little bit more extreme of how much food we crave and are hungry for to make up for lost time, essentially, that it does make sense that you would be going to the bathroom more often. So I hope that that's helpful. And I thank you for reminding me of the term BM that my brother and I were so uncool to say. Like we would try to say poop in our house and our parents would be like, no, 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 it's a BM. And then my uncle's initials were BM and we thought that that was so funny. But was it? Yeah, it was. All right, so I'm gonna get into the questions that were asked on Instagram. Again, if you asked a question and it's not answered, do not fear. It will be something that I will be using and referring to in the future. So the first one is how to stop when you're full if you're tempted to keep eating. Now, I am going to guess that this person is either not on the fuck a diet at all or is in the beginning of the fuck a diet because not everybody who follows my Instagram has read my book or even fully understands what the fuck a diet is or 
feels confident enough to actually start yet. So a lot of people are like, oh, I just want to ask you a question about emotional eating or overeating or weight gain without really understanding the whole thing. But I am going to guess that this is someone who is either not doing it or in the beginning and feeling like, okay, I should be listening to my body and stopping when I'm full. But here's the thing. In the beginning, in the first couple weeks and first couple months, and sometimes first year, you will often find yourself eating more than you are quote unquote hungry for. And it is the first phase of this process. It is the first refeeding phase. When you have been forcing yourself to undereat or trying to force yourself to undereat for years at a time, your body just wants food. It just wants to know that you are going to feed it and you're going to feed it a lot, even if you're already full. And a lot of people who are just starting out and are now allowing food and really going for it, they feel like they're binging. They're like, help, this is, I'm now binging. How is this okay? And in the book, I talk about how we have to reframe the way we look at this eating. If we're going to call it binging, the whole time we're going to be panicked about it. And that inherently keeps us in this sort of guilty, restrictive cycle that may make this phase go on for way, way, way longer. So we do need to look at the mental restriction piece. We do need to look at the way that we're looking at eating. If we can be eating our food, having our, you know, early feasts after we've been dieting and fully okay with it. And this is why I often bring famine logic into it. After you had been starved or semi-starved for days, weeks, months, years, you would know that it was normal to just eat and eat and eat and even eat past fullness and it was going to be okay. The thing that we don't trust is that eventually our bodies and our minds will calm down and that will be less something that we are drawn to do. That is the big fear. I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. I'm never going to learn when I'm full. I'm going to keep stuffing my face over, you know, over comfort, over my comfort level forever. And that is terrifying because it can be really uncomfortable to eat more than you're hungry for, especially with all of the mental stuff and all the beliefs we have attached to it. But if we can look at the mental restriction piece, look at how petrified we are not to stop eating, look at how petrified we are to eat a little bit over our hunger level. But oftentimes that temptation to keep eating past fullness is actually a little bit of that last supper mentality that, oh, this is my last chance to have this really delicious thing. And I really, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm going to crack the whip again tomorrow and not let myself eat this tomorrow. There's this panic. There's this like, it's a little bit frenzied because of how many times we have imposed rules on our eating. So that is why it is not just about allowing food, which it is a lot about, but it's also about allowing food mentally and emotionally and really looking at the diet rules that we still have and the guilt and the beliefs that we have about what we should or should not be eating. Um, And that is 
what we need to do. And that is why if you have not read the book, I do recommend it because it does explain all of this. But if you have, and you're just experiencing this again, it's just a reminder that a, it's really normal to want to eat past fullness, especially in the beginning of healing your relationship with food Two, it will calm down as you continue to go forward. And three, if it doesn't really look at that mental restriction piece, because that can keep us stuck in this kind of um, part of the journey. Okay, somebody asked a real frivolous question, and this was the question. Do you drink coffee? Yes, I do, every day. If yes, which kind of coffee? Ooh. (sighs) Well, in my past, pre-corona, I used to go to a cafe almost every day, almost every weekday at least, and work and write. Um, And I would order a quad shot cappuccino. And that's all I would have. I would have that one very, very strong cappuccino in the morning. And then that would be it. Now, since I'm actually really shocked that I haven't bought myself a super fancy, expensive, like cappuccino, cappuccino machine, but I haven't. And it's probably because I am lazy. One, two, my kitchen is so small and there's really no room. And three, oh, that's it. I'm lazy. So I started off every morning making myself a French press. And then after a couple months, I wanted to die with having to clean it. I just, I know that that, that cleaning French presses is like sort of normal, but I uh, was sick of it. I was really sick of it. So I started being really extravagant and buying cold brew coffee. Could I be making cold brew coffee myself? Yes. Am I? No. Do I buy it and then put cream in it every morning? Yes. But now it's getting cold, so I probably will have to figure out something because I don't want to be drinking uh, cold brew during the winter. That's my answer to your question, Don. Don. Okay, next question is thoughts on Diet Coke if you like the taste. You can eat and drink whatever you want. If you like the taste, go for it. I don't like to moralize about health or things that that I don't think are healthy, but I will say I am slightly... um, I, I don't think that fake sugar is good for us. How bad for us is it is the question. Is it worth not drinking Diet Coke over? I don't know. Personally, I don't, but I also don't like the taste at this point. Um, I used to, though. I think it's important for me to tell you that I used to drink diet drinks nonstop, like many a day, and I thought that they were amazing. And now if I taste it, I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. I also really don't think it's great for us, but I, um, I don't necessarily think that that's a reason that you shouldn't do it if you really love it so that is how I feel about it I I don't really have any more specifics than that I don't know uh what I mean I do know that it can trick our blood sugar and our insulin and it can actually be more of a predictor or it I think it can lead to more pre-diabetes diabetes stuff than just regular sugar honestly because it's like a very confusing thing for the body, but, uh, I don't, don't quote me on that. And I'm not telling you that that, I mean, I have read that before, but I, 
I think it's it's one of those things where it's like the the thing that they try to create to make it better is actually worse health-wise. But again, if you really like Diet Coke and you really like the taste, just drink it and enjoy your life. That I mean, I really, that's how I feel. I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear, but that's how I feel. All right, a new question. Can some people's weight set points really be extremely low or are they likely still restricting? Uh, I definitely think that some people are naturally very thin. And a lot of people who say that they're naturally thin are, are, are restricting. And a lot of people who are extremely thin, who are restricting, are still naturally thin, but are just restricting to be even thinner. So you really, really can't tell what someone is doing by their body. You just can't. There are naturally thin people, there are naturally fat people, and there are people who are manipulating their bodies to be that weight, and yet still... Sometimes that weight is still within their weight set range or close to their weight set range. You just don't know. Um, so I wouldn't judge. I would, I would, I will never judge, but I would make more assumptions. Well, don't make assumptions. <laughs> I would use someone's actions and also you can't even tell by actions because it's really about the thought and the fear and the stress and the overthinking behind it that would make someone disordered Um, and you really can't tell that from the outside from just watching someone you would have to get to know what motivates them and why they do what they do so you can't tell unless you have that information unless they're just not really not eating okay so molly was happily sleeping right next to me for this whole time but now she's awake and she is asking for attention Oh, Molly, will you please let me finish this? Okay, let's see if I can find a new question to answer. Let's see. Um, okay. Someone's saying, could the fuck a diet be for someone who's never dieted but struggles with food in other ways? Um, I think that at least reading the fuck a diet is, can be clarifying for people and their relationship with food because we don't really realize how much we internalize our culture's messages about food and weight and we can actually be acting out on those things sorry if you hear some weird breathing it's my dog oh god she's you know she's just loud so you really don't have to formally diet in order to be affected by diet culture so i definitely think that um, it applies to more people than than we might think more people than people might think if that makes sense I really do think that disordered eating even if it's really mild just stress over food in a way that doesn't need to be there um, I think that we can get more freedom Molly please I'm doing something she's like okay you know you need to wait you're not the boss of me I'm the boss of you okay um let me just pause and find another question okay here's a good one what do you reply to people who say it's their freedom choice to diet freedom slash choice it is their freedom slash choice to diet what is not their freedom slash choice is to impose that on you or to make assumptions about you or to think that you should be doing what they're doing or to make comments about your food or your body um i don't think that dieting is healthy or 
um, helpful, but it is absolutely people's freedom and choice to do whatever they want to do with their body, even if it's restricting and micromanaging their weight. And that's just the truth. And Molly just yawned. She's over it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, no one's ever said that to me, so I've never had to, no one's ever said that to me that explicitly, so I've never had to reply that explicitly. But the answer is, it is their choice. It is not their choice to push any of that on you. So someone asked, how does the fuck a diet align with the gentle nutrition pieces of intuitive eating and health at every size? So it aligns in that it is sort of implied that when you want to and feel ready to eat more varied diet or to add in you know things that are healthy like more fruits and vegetables because you don't feel triggered by diet culture anymore that it is fully your prerogative to do it Um, I purposely don't talk much about it because I think it's actually really triggering to the beginning of the process and I sort of I don't know, I want to assume that my readers are smart enough to know that eating an all-candy diet probably isn't ideal for the rest of your life, but for a little while, it's actually perfectly fine. And when you get to a, a more neutral and healed relationship with food, craving a varied diet and adding in things that you might need or think are healthy just to kind of round out your diet is going to be not that big of a deal because you know that you can eat whatever you want and hopefully you're doing in a way that is tasty and supportive and not that big of a deal. I've also heard over and over and over again from people who have said that they started craving food that they never in a million years thought that they would crave again after like a year on the fuck a diet or after six months on the fuck a diet or even sooner. But I don't want to put that on people. Like I, I really feel very aware of what would have triggered me at the beginning of this process. And I never want to say that or put that on people because I don't want to muddy the beginning of the process. But a lot of people start craving certain fruits and vegetables and food that they saw as diet food back when they were dieting. But now that they don't have to eat it and they've been on the process for long enough and they've been eating the mac and cheese for long enough, they're like, oh, I would love a salad. And they're shocked because who would ever fucking want a salad? Well, sometimes you want a salad. And it's not the only thing you're going to eat that day or that meal, obviously. But um, I think our bodies are a lot smarter than we give it credit for. And I would like everyone to just get out of their way a little bit more. So that's why I don't talk about gentle nutrition because I have noticed that it sort of happens on its own. So someone asked, what is the youngest age you would recommend as a reader of the fuck it diet? If you are not concerned about curse words, then I would say 14, 15, 16, though I will tell you that when I was 14, 15, 16, if I'd read the fuck it diet, I'd be like, no, I'm going to diet and become skinny. Fuck this stupid, annoying girl. Because I had to learn the hard way. Molly, you're so loud. I had to learn the hard way. I had to see diets fail over and over and over again. And without that, I wouldn't have been able to say fuck it because I wouldn't have seen firsthand how how they fail over and over and over again and what it does to your mental health and what it does to your physical health and what it does to your fixation on food. And I just, I hate, to say it because I don't I never want to have to say oh you have to diet before you can realize that it 
doesn't work. I mean, I want a culture that doesn't force dieting at all. I keep having to stop this because my dog is chewing on her or itching her entire body right next to the microphone and I keep telling her to get off and she keeps, she, yeah, and she keeps trying to like get me to pet her. And if she was just being quiet, I could just pet her and keep doing this. But she's like making a ruckus and I keep saying, get off the couch. And she looks at me like, why? But what I'm really trying to say is about what age someone is ready to read the fuck it diet. Again, if you don't care about swear words, obviously, I mean, that's implied. I don't even know why I'm saying it. You know, a teenager could absolutely read it and could be strong enough to understand the culture that we live in and never start dieting. And that would be amazing. But if it's someone who is already in it, it's possible that it will take a little bit more time for them to see firsthand how it fails and how much it sucks over and over before they're ready to be like, okay, this really doesn't work. And I wish it wasn't true, but I I think that it is. Um, So that is my answer to that question of when. Anytime, but someone still might need to learn the hard way, unfortunately, especially teenagers. Now, I was going to continue, but I honestly think that my dog is going to make this too annoying for me and maybe you too if I if I didn't keep stopping and like waiting for her to stop itching herself or whatever she's doing. Um, okay, so what I would like to say, I would like to say a couple things. This is what I would like to say. <laughs> Again, if you want to send in your listener stories, you can send it to podcast at carolineduner.com. You can also send in questions. Mm, mm, yeah, you can send in questions. You can. You can. You can send in questions. And I might answer them and I might not. And it might just subtly inform future content and future things. And maybe it'll inform questions that I ask people that I talk to on the podcast in the future. Um, also, if you would like to advertise on this podcast, if you are aligned with the fuck a diet, if you're a coach or any sort of practitioner or business that is body positive and aligned with all the things we talk about here, you can also email podcast at carolineduner.com and we can talk about advertising for the podcast. Besides that, I never talk about this, but if you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes especially, that really does help. Um, I forget. (laughs) I forget to talk about it all the time. But uh, yeah, it really is helpful. And I am thankful for you listening to this podcast. I will be back in two weeks with a new conversation with somebody. And I will talk to you soon. Goodbye.